Hey, it's Alice. Just a quick reminder before we get started that the views you're going to hear on the show today belong to Jim, me, and our guests. They don't reflect the Department of the Army or the Department of Defense. Okay, here's the show. That if you go to war, you go in with overwhelming military force. We have over 100,000 transgender veterans. Why do I deserve to go? Why not any of these guys? They all fought just as hard as me. Welcome to Thank You For Your Service, a conversation with practitioners, scholars, artists, and you about the relationship between the military and civilians. I'm Alice Friend. I'm a senior fellow at the Center for Strategic and International Studies and a visiting research professor at the U.S. Army War College. I worked at the Pentagon as a civilian in the office of the Secretary of Defense. And I'm Jim Golby. I served as an Army officer for 20 years. Now I'm a senior fellow at the Clement Center at the University of Texas, Austin. On this podcast, we consider the civilian and military perspectives on war, government, politics, and service. Hi, everyone. This is Yumi, a producer at Thank You For Your Service. No one asked, but Jim and Alice promised. And here at Thank You For Your Service, we keep our promises. So welcome to this very special bonus episode-length pop culture segment on... The Space Force, the TV show, not the actual military service. Just so you know, there are spoilers all over this episode. You've been warned. All right, here's the show. So, Jim, we have both watched Space Force. I think we were both excited about Space Force coming out. We were so excited we put it in our first episode. We promised everybody we would talk about it. And then we watched it. And then I believe it's fair to say we both had mixed feelings. Yes, I was disappointed. I had visions of MASH. I had visions of the Pentagon Wars. And I had such high hopes for all of the different ways that this show could be a success. And I'm not convinced it is a success. Yeah, it doesn't It doesn't hang together. <laughs> One of the things that I can't stand when I'm reading a novel is when I can hear the writer writing, you know, like you can just, you're, you're a little bit too inside their process. And that's how I felt watching this series. I felt a little bit like we were in the writer's room with them while they were still developing ideas and they didn't quite polish them down to the point where I could suspend disbelief and just enjoy and be in the story. But the sieve mill of it, I do have to say, is sometimes pretty hilarious. Like they they definitely have some good jokes that landed with me. And then there's some stuff that they they definitely get right. There I think part of the struggle that I have with it is it's so uneven. Some of it's quite good. <laughs> and then some of it is quite puzzling. <laughs> nope, that is that was my experience too. I watched I think the first 3 episodes and was not motivated to watch the rest of the series. Because I, I thought the first episode was okay, and I thought that maybe there was a way it could could turn into a pretty good series from there. But then I felt like episode two and three were just sort of ridiculous and bad. <laughs> and I, I didn't think it was that funny, and I didn't think it was bringing out, you know, what I was hoping for. But then I came back to it and sort of had the same experience for the middle of the season that it just seemed sort of nonsensical and got away from some of the military aspects but then I thought it closed out pretty strong. And that was sort of my experience of the season was there were these times where they would, you know, have their simulated tank with the brilliantly cast 
members of the Joint Chiefs, and they would have some really funny inner service jokes. But then it'd sort of fall off into there was an episode where they had war games where they were actually, you know, had the chief of staff of the Air Force and Steve Carell's Space Force general officer character fighting in sort of a paintball tournament, um, essentially. Uh, and and so, like, <laughs> some of the things just seem sort of so ridiculous that they stopped being funny and stopped really drawing on real military inside jokes and just became silly. I don't know. Yeah, I will say one of my favorite Civ Mill parts of it is the relationship between Dr. Mallory, who is General Naird's chief scientist, and General Naird, who, of course, is the Steve Carell character, who is the chief of Space Force. And the in the very first episode, we meet uh, Dr. Mallory because he's sitting in the general's office with his feet up on the table, reclining on the couch, or maybe he's all, all the way lying down on the couch. But anyway, he says, listen, I hate to pull rank on you, General. And they, they have this really funny back and forth where Carell's character is like, actually, I outrank you. I'm the boss around here. And Mallory is doing this sort of classic trying to assert sort of a civilian control in this completely inappropriate and ineffective <laughs> way. I thought that that whole relationship, I mean, obviously, if you have John Malkovich and Steve Carell, it can't go that wrong. If anything carries the, the show, that relationship really does. Yeah, I thought John Malkovich was the the true highlight of the show. And I thought he really nailed sort of the cynical, crusty old science advisor stuck in the middle of the Pentagon trying to, you know, work his way through that relationship. I thought it was, I agree, I thought it was great. Yeah, and the way that they, they really do explore the idea of sort of the, the military approach to science and the way scientists think about militarism, right? So Mallory is really anti-militarism. And sort of the whole time you're like, well, what are you doing there? You know, like, why, why are you there? And I think that episode three that you talked about, which is, I think, called, it's called Mark and Mallory go to Washington, right? Because they have to go to DC for a budget hearing. And you, you get that played out because Mallory is angry with Mark because Mark cut his science budget. And Mallory is just doing this, I we guess, in order to be able to do all these fabulous experiments with, with the budget that he doesn't normally get, one supposes. But at the same time, he has all these fabulous lines that reveal his anti-militarism. He, like, <laughs> he bursts into the general's office and uh, gets stopped at the door by a, like a security guard equivalent. And, you know, the guard says, you know, what are you doing here? What, what's your agenda? And Mallory says, I want to know why my science budget pales in comparison to the riches devoted to turning space into an orgy of death, <laughs> which is just this fantastic line. And it's like, you know, it it's just this cartoonish portrayal, but also accurate portrayal of the struggle between science and the military. Right. It really reminded me of sort of like early days of nuclear policy and nuclear development and the scientists being really worried about military militarizing the bomb. Yes, it was. I, I also thought it was fascinating in the one episode that I didn't particularly like where they had the, the war games between the Air Force and the Space Force. They had Dr. Mallory pick out sort of the equipment and the, you know, the suits that they were supposed to wear. And Space Force continued to be critical of him throughout the episode saying, why did you pick these? They restrict our movement. And there were all these problems. And then at the last minute, he sort of came in and said, Yes, but the Air Force uniforms have one critical vul vulnerability. He ran a code that locked up all of the all of the opposing forces. Yeah, he did a cyber hack. 
Yeah, basically did a cyber hack and showed that the Space Force uniforms that he had chosen were not vulnerable to the cyber hack and sort of saved the day at the last minute. And it again, it was sort of ridiculous, but it brought out the idea that sometimes there are these things that people in the military aren't going to think of because... They're not specialists in these fields, and you need to rely on, you know, cyber experts and scientists who can identify things that you wouldn't think of, and that might not make obvious military sense if you're only thinking about tactics on the battlefield. Yeah, actually, one of the, I think, motifs of this relationship is that they constantly take each other for granted, or they gloss over each other as value added to the proposition. And so episode after episode... Mallory proves, you know, well, if you would just listen to me and my scientific expertise, we actually could have avoided all of this nonsense. But, you know, General Nair does that, too. In that first episode, when they're arguing about whether or not they're going to launch the rocket to show it off in front of members of Congress, all the scientists are like, no, 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 no. The conditions aren't perfect. It's 36% humidity and we want 28% humidity or whatever it was. And Naird goes out to review the rocket and talk to the scientists. And one of the lead scientists is carrying an umbrella. And Nerd says, what are, you, what are you carrying? And it's a like hot, sunny day in the middle of Colorado, right? And he's like, I'm carrying an umbrella. He goes, huh. And then he moves on. And as the viewer, you're like, what did that have to do with anything, right? So at the end of the episode, spoiler alert, you find out that Nerd asked that guy that question because he had, a, he had an instinct that the scientist's risk tolerance was way, 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 way too low to ever achieve anything as risky as launching rocket to the moon, basically. And so he's sitting on his front porch with Mallory and they're having a drink and he's explaining, you know, he's like, listen, you, you know, you know the science, but I know people and I know about these big, bold things. And I just knew that the, the, the biases that were going into giving me this advice were, weren't helping us or were sort of over-determining some of the data. And I thought that was really fascinating, too. Yeah. And, and I really liked when they brought out those aspects of Nerd that highlighted his instincts for people and his leadership. I thought it brought that tension into really stark relief and it was really effective. And then there were other times that they sort of portrayed Nerd as this extremely rigid military person who was completely inflexible. They had an episode, I think, in the middle of the season where they tried to deal with mental health issues. And I, I just thought it was really ineffective and, and not very funny. And it sort of, you know, ultimately addressed them in a sort of half-hearted way where he was repressing these experiences that he'd had from his military experience when I think he was shot down in the Balkans, I mean, in the, in the storyline. And then he eventually you know, unloaded his feelings to someone else and then moved on. And it was all better because, you know, he talked about his feelings. And I think there is something that they could have done with highlighting, you know, the culture in the military that it's hard to, you know, talk about mental health. It's people are there. There was a great line that, you know, I think someone says maybe his wife says, oh, these military guys never go get mental health treatment because they're worried about their security clearances. And yeah, there's there, there's some some great insights, but it just they didn't treat it with enough humanity. And I think that the parts of the show that really work are where they can bring through the humanity while also bringing out the contradiction. And I think that's what the 
the relationship between Naird and Mallory really does and that some other parts of the show just really, really fall down on. Yeah, it's almost like this is like a meta comment, but it's almost like this the Civ Mill relations of making the show. Again, we can see them writing, right? You can see that happening. Like there's stuff in there that's so detailed. Some of the design elements of the Pentagon are so spot on, right? Or some of the inside jokes. It's like, okay, so you clearly had advisors who have worked inside, you know, inside the military profession, who've worked in DOD, who've worked in national security in the US, who like really get these these crazy inside jokes. But yeah, then there are things that are so tone deaf or or make fun of the wrong thing that, yeah, it, it sort of feels like there's this tension between the folks that that really know the details or know how it is. And then the folks that completely don't understand and, and miss the point. And both of those things are happening at the same time in the same series. It's very weird. Yeah. And, you know, it, it does make you wonder who are the people advising on this? You know, who is this drawn on their own perceptions? What are the misperceptions of the military? What are the, the true perceptions? I think there's there's a lot of ways this show could still hit its stride and do very well if it has a season two. I'm not, I'm not totally sure at this point if it will, but you're right. There's some things that just really hit home. I think in the first episode after he is named the, the chief of Space Force, there's a point where he and his wife are lying in a bed and she says, oh, I don't I don't really want to move again. And he said, oh, oh, it'll be OK. And she said, yeah, do you think we can stay on this side of the river? And he says, oh, no, we're definitely going to be on the other side of the river. We're going to be in Colorado. And you just I forget what her response was, but you just see this. Oh, oh, no. She cries. She starts weeping. <laughs> and so, it, you know, it, it captures some of those. Again, I think when it captures the, the personal aspects it can do it in a way that's both humanizing and funny. And then other times it just tries to be absurd and ridiculous. And when it loses the humanity, it's just it, it wasn't it didn't work for me. Yeah, I think that's totally right. I actually wanted to ask you what you thought about Aaron, the daughter, who is really, really angry that her dad has dragged her to this middle of nowhere town in Colorado. And she's supposed to be 18 and a junior in high school. And I think they're just trying to make her a petulant teenage girl but she it's almost like she's never done a pcs before it's so weird like you know your dad just became a four-star general and you're not used to this is the drill it was i was like is this normal but i don't actually know so i wanted to ask you if you felt like the aaron character you know was sort of true to life or if she was a, a, a miss too you know so i actually liked her and i thought some of her some of her scenes with captain ali the other young african american space force captain were were actually pretty compelling and i will say that regardless of how many pcss you do it's always hard on kids we're in the middle of our last move right now and i think my oldest two daughters the ones who've been through the most are the ones that are having the hardest time dealing with it because as you get older and one of the themes she brings up a lot is i miss my friends in dc as you get older, you develop relationships wherever you are and you have to change schools, you have to change teachers, you change sports teams or theater groups or whatever it is that your kids are doing. And my sense is it's actually a bit harder the longer you go on and easier when, you know, kids are doing the first or second one because they just don't know any better. So I thought there were aspects of her that that they sort of nailed. But again, I think there were there were other parts that you know, that we're off. But I can definitely see the acting out and the bitterness and the frustration of 
of moving for, you know, whatever the 10th time to the middle of nowhere. I, I could I could see my daughters uh, being very upset if I if I did that to them, too. The other thing I wanted to raise was uh, they talk about like DOD budgeting a lot. <laughs> and there's actually again in that that third episode where they go up to the hill for the budget for the budget meeting or the budget uh, hearing rather, but then in other places too. But that budget hearing is great because they have the classic face off where the the congresswoman who's supposed to be AOC, <laughs> quite quite obviously, asks him about why this this orange. She holds up an orange and says, "How much would, does it cost Space Force to buy this orange?" And he says, "I don't know, a dollar, a dollar fifty. And she says, ten thousand dollars. And you know, everyone in the hearing room gasps. And then they have the back and forth about, you know, the I forget what the original was during the Reagan administration, but it was like the $10,000 ashtray or something, right? And there's actually a lot of that, right? There's also the argument about the science budget. There's there's other good stuff in the first episode where they talk budgeting. But this sort of the big question being, we spend so much money on the military. In fact, we're standing up a whole new service. And the AOC character says, when my constituents are on food stamps. So there's this real sense of like guns and butter and we can either lavish the military with resources or we can give a few, you know, shekels to the rest of America is sort of the the very Manichaean setup of, of the series. I also thought they didn't do enough. At times they, they tried and just sort of failed, but they have this. A uh, public affairs officer. Um, oh, God, I hated that guy. <laughs> the The thing is, you're sort of supposed to hate him. Yeah, but oh, God, it's not fun to hate him. He's just annoying. <laughs> yeah, but I do feel like there are one or two times where it works. And I think the two times that it worked were later in the season. One where he was doing a focus group and they were saying, you know, so what do you what do you want to happen on the moon? And he's talking to, you know, this small focus group. And then uh, another spoiler alert, they show the Chinese driving over the Apollo 11 landing site and uh, destroying the American flag. And then, you know, he sort of uses this image and shows it to the people. And all of a sudden they get riled up and he uses sort of that very direct rally around the flag to change public opinion. Like, I think there's Again, it's a ridiculous story, but you sort of see at least a glimpse into not what public affairs officers really do, but into the politics of, you know, sort of stirring up public sentiment. And then I think the other time that sort of works is seeing when they hold a press conference and, you know, he's calling on people and being this real slick guy. And then they ask a bad question and he's like, oh, that's a terrific answer to a terrible question. I'm never calling you again. And, yeah. and he like gives the reporter shade. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like, again, I think there are some jokes that really land and some that just don't seem that funny. And I'm hoping that they can, you know, bring the good parts of the show back in season two. I, I really want to see more with the Joint Chiefs because they have fantastic actors. Oh, my gosh. Jane Lynch is the CNO. It's amazing. <laughs> She's so good. But they other than the Air Force, they don't totally settle on And the Air Force is the clear bad guy in the show. But they, they don't set totally settle on the personalities of everybody else, because, you know, at one point you have the Chiefs as these you know, knuckle dragging, militaristic, we've got to go to war to protect America in one scene. And then like 
10 minutes later, they're saying, what? We can't commit war crimes. That's a violation of the Geneva Geneva Convention. And so, again, it's like they're trying to play up on every stereotype without actually getting to the heart of the issue. Because I think you could have had, uh, again, like some compelling stereotypes that you really played up to be funny, like they do with the Coast Guard, who is left out and sort of constantly mocked. Yes. (laughs) Poor Coast Guard. Yeah. But I think there's more to do there that could be really funny. They just never settled on what they were trying to do with those characters. Speaking of the highest echelons of the Pentagon, what's with the SecDef character? I found him like inscrutable. I did too. It wasn't until episode eight that I realized he was the SecDef. I thought he was some like chief of staff or someone who worked for the SecDef. Yeah, he has no commanding presence whatsoever. He has a he has a nameplate in front of him in that first episode where they they're in the tank. So first of all, it's like that the the tank decor is like this is not the tank. Second of all, why is the SecDef there? <laughs> so this is not the like what is this meeting? But yeah, he like he's there, you know, because the opening scene is Nerd's promotion to four star. And he's there like as the MC, and he's also like telling Nerd to wrap it up because they need to go into their next meeting. And yeah, exactly. He's like he's like someone's aide or something. It's so strange. And he he just sort of occasionally sends Nerd a text message or something. Or yells at him a little bit. But yeah, I thought that was an odd again in like the Civ Mill <laughs> from the Civ Mill perspective. It was like a very weird way to to deal with a sec def who who could be a goldmine of humor let's be clear there's a line in there that made me think of you because he says i'm not a professional politician but ah! and i'm like you're the secretary of defense <laughs> yes you yes. are <laughs> you are a cabinet official in an administration that was elected yeah <laughs> um okay well i think it's fair to say that our our review of of space forces B minus. <laughs> I go C plus. C plus. B minus C plus. Recognize your effort. Very disorganized. Ne- needed needed a few more f- a few more rounds. I think it needed a few more drafts. Especially episode two, dear listeners. If you have not watched yet and you still intend to, despite our <laughs> misgivings, just just skip episode two. I don't know what happened with that episode. It went so off the rails. So just and you can follow it. Just go straight to episode three. It it jumped the shark in episode two, basically. And it's like, what? What? Why? <laughs> Again, probably hilarious in the writer's room should maybe have stayed in the writer's room. But, I, you know, I don't do this for a living. What do I know? I just have to watch it. All right. Well, there you have it. Space Force on Netflix. <laughs> If you enjoyed today's episode, please do share it with your friends on social media or give us a good review on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Our email is tyfyspodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to tell us your name and where you're from. We want to credit your idea on a future show. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time on Thank You for Your Service.